Today's scripture reading is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 14. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and also more, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, then went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm thankful that Chris uh, read a very long scripture passage. <laughs> uh, it is long, but uh, there is no detail that can be left out because uh, then we lose something. Today we continue in our sermon series entitled Soul Care. It's a series that's based on, quite frankly, things that nobody wants to talk about. Moments and seasons in our lives like depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, and stress. Areas of our souls that could use a little bit more care. Last week, Pastor Emily began the sermon series with grief. Acknowledging that if we want to grieve well, the only way through grief is through it. Not around it or brushing it under the rug or bottling it up for another day, but through it. Through the grief that comes after a change in jobs, a lost relationship, a deployment, a divorce, a change in jobs, a difficult diagnosis, and even losing a loved one. Through 
moments and seasons that come, maybe not in the immediate days, but in the weeks and the months and the years after. After the house is quiet and we begin to put that puzzle of life back together, acknowledging that some of the pieces don't quite fit together like they used to. Through those moments when we are caught off guard by doing something that was once habit, and then we grow in the realization that we did that, and then the finality sets in. In those moments and in those seasons, we want Jesus to be as close as our next breath and as near as a whisper, but in the next moments, we want to push him away. Likewise, in those moments, we want our friends and our family to be close to one another And then in the next instance, we don't want them close to us. I want to echo what Pastor Emily said last week. It is okay to not be okay. We are here for you. Pastor Emily, Pastor Monica, myself, our on-staff Christian counselor, Keith Priest, uh, are here for you to walk this journey alongside you, to care, to pray, to talk, and to share. Each week in our digital bulletin, we are also putting some resources for you to use and for you to share as we care for ourselves and and help ourselves, but also as a way to help others. There are resources for adults and for children, for teens, all across the spectrum. Today, we continue in that sermon series on anxiety and depression. And before we watch a video testimony of someone living in and coping with anxiety and a panic disorder, I want to share and pause just for a moment, that there are numerous, numerous facets of anxiety and depression, from generalized anxiety to social and relational anxiety, from situational depression to bipolar disorder, to psychotic depression, to postpartum depression, to seasonal affective depression, and seasonal affective disorder and panic attacks, and so many more. Some anxieties and depressions can be caused by stressful life events and changes, while others are caused and brought about by a chemical imbalance in the brain, both of which are not the fault nor the desire of the individual that is going through that. Not the fault, not the choice of the individual dealing with those As we journey together in these next moments, I would just want to share that We could cover and go on and on and on about this topic for the next year. But this is just the starting point. This is just the hollow ground that we can come and to talk and to own and to share with one another and to have common language and helpful tools as we care for ourselves and love on one another. Will you pray with me? God of the mountaintops and God of the valley lows. And everywhere in between. God, you journey through it all with us. In these next moments, as we hear aloud ways, situations, circumstances that people might find themselves in, we pray for grace. Grace to understand, grace to hear, grace to listen. And we pray for love your love to surround us even in this moment where we touch on difficult topics and subjects. Even if there are wounds that are still fresh in our hearts, may we be able and equipped to share that with one another. All this we pray 
So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. The first time I got behind the wheel of a car was an absolute disaster. I guess that isn't entirely true. I could navigate an empty parking lot and the big circle in my parents' neighborhood. But when I got on the road properly, that was it. I was done. I'd had panic attacks before. It was the time the old van my mom was driving broke down on the side of the road. We were stranded. A kind man stopped to help and brought us home. But I had been taught my whole life not to trust strangers and definitely not to get in their cars. That was it. I was done. Once again convinced that was the moment my life would end. Maybe this sounds overly dramatic. If you've never had a panic attack, then maybe to you it is. But for me, in all those moments, and in many others, I truly and deeply believed to the core of my being that I was going to die. Driving on the road the first time, that feeling came again. I couldn't catch my breath and started hyperventilating. I couldn't slow my breathing or my heart rate, which was beating faster than the wheels could turn. The incessant flow of tears came, which did not help my already blurred vision. I knew that I would pass out soon and had just enough force of will left to get the car to the side of the road and stop it. But then I was literally paralyzed with fear. I could vaguely hear someone speaking to me from the passenger seat. My mom? My dad? Jesus? I had no idea. I was just trying not to pass out and die. What was the voice saying? Focus. Come on, you can do it. Stay conscious. Don't die at 16 on the side of the road. You didn't hit anything. You hit the gas and not the brake by accident. But it was fine. You're dyslexic, but not dead. Nothing and no one was hurt. But they could have been. You could have totaled the car. You could have killed someone. You could have died. Stop. Don't think about that. Someone is trying to talk to you. Focus. Don't pass out. You are okay. Everything is okay. Just switch places with me and we'll go home. Mom? Dad? Still not sure, but I don't think it's Jesus. Can I move my body? My arms? My legs? Maybe. I can't see because I'm crying and I can't slow my breathing. Maybe I'm safe. Maybe I'm not going to die. You are okay. Just move your body. I don't remember how I got into the passenger seat, but I did. And we got home. I didn't die. But I did have a problem. That problem is anxiety and panic disorder. I still have it. But I'm in therapy and I'm medicated. And both of those things make it better. Maybe Jesus wasn't literally talking to me in the car that day. But I do find his grace, love, and protection in the words of my therapist, in my medication, 
and in the people who love and support me through each and every panic attack. I'm thankful and grateful for this glimpse into what it looks like and feels like, sounds like, to live with anxiety and a panic disorder. Anxiety and depression, though they might be linked together in this sermon, are often having a bit of an overlap, but they are two distinct conditions that can be experienced simultaneously. With anxiety, it can be caused by an overstimulation of a situation or circumstance, but anxiety can also bring with it a great uneasiness about what is going to happen, an apprehension about what could possibly happen in the future. There are these thoughts and worries that something might go wrong, and then you believe that something will go wrong. With anxiety, you can't concentrate, you can't focus, you can't sleep, you overthink, you become drained by the demands of life. Depression, in that same yet distinct vein, is a constant feeling of sadness, general hopelessness, an inability to emerge from a dark abyss, outwardly looking like that of a shell that you used to look like, a hollow fragmentation of that person that you used to be and know. In depression, you may experience the feeling that your only safe space is one's bed. A continuous sense of being tired but not being able to rest. Enduring a condition that affects every aspect of your life. Drive, desire, relationships, circumstances. With depression, you might feel like you feel consumed in a vegetative state, a paralysis of sorts. Your soul being consumed. This past week, I talked to one of my colleagues whose family has struggled with anxiety and depression, and they used this great analogy. They said depression and anxiety are like the Dementors from the Harry Potter series. And whether you liked the series or not, whether you like the author or not, the literary tale of Harry Potter is what we're getting at. How it's an expression of anxiety and depression. In both the book and the movie, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, there are these creatures. Creatures that are known as dementors, who are the most vile of creatures, the foulest of creatures that walk the earth, and they infest the darkest places, the filthiest places. They glory in death and decay and despair, and they drain peace and they drain hope and they drain happiness out of the air around them. And if you get too close to a Dementor, every good feeling, every happy feeling and every happy memory will be sucked out of you. If it can, the Dementor will make you like that of itself, vile and soulless, and you'll be left with nothing, nothing than the worst experiences of your life. As the story concludes, Harry Potter is met by many Dementors at the Great Lake, and there is a duel of sorts between the two. Harry learns early on in the story that the only way to eradicate a Dementor is by invoking a phrase, expecto patronum, which means I expect to see my father, or I expect to see a guardian. The author of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, said this in a recent interview. That right before that book was to be released, she was depressed and she was diagnosed with clinical depression. She had the loss of her mother, the loss of a relationship, a failed marriage, 
unemployment, and she struggled with being a single mom. She thought of herself as plagued by depression to the point that she even contemplated suicide. She goes on to say that it was the all-too-real depression that she was able to express in the metaphor of the Dementors. In that interview, she continues to say that it was her faith in Jesus Christ. It was her family and her friends that surrounded her as an outlet of writing as well that helped her to journey along and cope with depression. It was knowing that God was with her even in the midst of depression. That's good news, amen? In today's scripture, as Chris read from 1 Kings 19, we have the prophet Elijah, who is coming out of a similar duel. Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, was having a duel with the prophets of Baal, and it was very climactic, very high stakes. Elijah had made a mockery of the prophets, their alleged God, and even the kingdom, who said it was okay to worship them. In case it's been a while since you've read 1 Kings 18, I'm going to give you a quick Cliff Notes version. But I want to invite you to go back and uh, reread it. Jezebel and Ahab are the monarchical kingdom. They are the king and queen. And Elijah is a prophet of God. Elijah had found out that Jezebel and Ahab were allowing the people of the kingdom, mainly the Israelites, to worship other gods and no other god before that god. Elijah had enough. Elijah said, enough is enough, and so they wanted to settle it once and for all. So they came up to the top of Mount Carmel, and both Elijah and the prophets of Baal would each take a bull, and they would prepare it, and they would sacrifice it, but put no fire to it. Elijah allowed the prophets of Baal to go first. So they made the preparations, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and nothing. Nothing happened. From morning until noon, nothing Following the silence and lack of preparation and presence of Baal, Elijah decides that enough is enough. So he goes on to prepare the sacrifice. And for instance, this instance, the usual sacrifices and the usual preparation wasn't enough to show the power and might of God. So Elijah calls them to come over and bring 12 barrels of water. And he pours all of that, I'm not going to pour water, don't worry. And he pours all of that water on the sacrifice, saturating that sacrifice. So much water, even in the midst of a three and a half year drought, I want to point that out. He pours so much water that the water just falls off of the sacrifice and goes into a trench that is surrounding it. Twelve barrels. And then Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven consumed everything, the bull, the wood, the stones for the altar, the dust, and the scripture says it even licked up the water that was in the trench. There, atop of Mount Carmel, Elijah had this great theophany, this great God moment, a moment where he was able to call fire down from heaven, and in that moment, for Elijah, God was as near as his next breath. There, and present, as close as a whisper. Which brings us to our scripture passage for this morning from uh, 1 Kings 19. Ahab had watched on as Elijah and the prophets of Baal duked it out. And it was a one-sided battle, really. And Ahab went back to his wife, Jezebel, and said, This is everything that had happened. This is all that Elijah did in the power and might of God. Jezebel was mad. 
Jezebel wrote back and sent a messenger to Elijah and said, the gods are going to get you for this and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. Elijah just had the most exciting experience of his life and ministry. His, his blood was pumping, his adrenaline was going, and then he received this news that Jezebel wanted his life. He was stressed, was worried, afraid for his life, and so he fled and he escaped to the wilderness and came beneath a solitary broom tree. And in that moment, underneath the tree, Elijah's anxiety had set in. And he pleads with God, God, take my life. It is enough now, O Lord, to take my life away from me because I am no better than my ancestors. After this plea, Elijah falls asleep and is awoken by an angel who said, get up and eat. And so he did. And then he went and laid down again. For Elijah, now the hopelessness of depression was setting in. Then a second time, an angel of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Get up and eat. Eat what I have prepared for you. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. And so Elijah did. He got up and he ate. And then he spent the night at Mount Horeb, the mount of God. Mount Horeb, you might remember, was also known as Mount Sinai, which is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments, where he communed and communicated with God in the burning bush, a place where Elijah, where Moses had found revelation in his time leading the Israelites. There's Elijah on Mount Horeb. Feelings of depression and anxiety. Elijah feels alone and fearful and hopeless. And there he is met by God a second time of Mount Horeb. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? God says. Elijah answers, I have done what you have called me to do. I have served you alone faithfully. I have done what you wanted me to do. And meanwhile, the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have deserted and destroyed your altars and they have killed your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Aren't you going to do anything, God? Elijah needed to vent. And God goes and tells him to stand out on the mountain because the Lord is about to pass by. And the first, you know, there was a wind, wind so strong that it broke the mountains and broke and split the mountains and broke the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind for Elijah. And second was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake for Elijah. And third was a fire and the Lord was not in the fire for Elijah. But then the sound of sheer silence, a gentle whisper as some translations put it. That's how God was able to get through to Elijah. That's how Elijah was able to hear God and say, what are you doing here, Elijah? Consumed by anxiety and depression, blinded by fear and hopelessness, brought about by the stress that Elijah was going through and fleeing for his life from Jezebel, who claimed that she was going to take it away. In those moments, Elijah is unable to see that God had been with him throughout it all. From the time where he brought down power and might in the form of fire on Mount Carmel to consume the entire sacrifice, to the presence of the angel of the Lord waking him up and providing food and nourishment and sleep for Elijah as he fell asleep underneath the broom tree, and even in the mist of hearing all of those sounds of creation, the forces of creation, the wind and the earthquake and the fire. God was there. 
top of Mount Carmel, Elijah felt God as close as a whisper, as near as his next breath. But atop of Mount Horeb, God, God's mount, Elijah couldn't feel God, and he was far away. Sinking deeper into the abyss, unable to see and concentrate on what is right in front of him, Elijah's anxiety and depression gives us a glimpse into the all-real, all-too-real anxiety and depression that folks go with on a daily, weekly, monthly, in some seasons and some moments. Anxiety and depression brought about for some by chemical imbalances and by others' stressful life situations. In both instances, there is a need of faith and of family and friends and support, even support with medication and mental health professionals. I remember those days all too well. For weeks, my wife, Alicia, and I were filled with great excitement and anticipation as we shared with family and friends we were expecting our first child. The time came for the doctor's appointments, and it started out much like the appointments prior, sitting in the waiting area, waiting to hear Alicia's name as we were called to the back, stopping at the scale in the middle of the hallway and putting my hand out to receive her purse. Then we followed the nurse to the ultrasound room, which was the third door on the left. Then came the noises, the lowering and tilting back of the steel exam table, the squeezing of the bottle filled with a blue ultrasound jelly. There above the door on the wall was a clock. It was ticking, but I couldn't hear any sound. Only seconds had gone by, but it had felt like hours, and the nurse continued to move that Doppler from one side of my wife's stomach to the other. Nothing changed. The doctor came in the room, and he squeezed more blue ultrasound jelly on the fetal Doppler, but still nothing. Then he stopped, and he said, I'm sorry. There's no heartbeat. He silently looked at both of us and uttered, This is not your fault. Take as much time as you need. The ticking of the clock on the wall above the door became deafening. I could feel my heart beating faster and faster, and I looked at my wife, Alicia, and the tears began to roll down our faces, and together we stood in the middle of that exam room, holding on to one another, not wanting to leave, because if we left, it was final. How? Why? What should I do? How can I care? How can I love? How can I show support and concern in those moments, in that moment? In the days, weeks, and months that followed, the depression set in. I felt hollow and drained, sad and hopeless. At one moment, you feel as if God is as close as your next breath, and in the following, God couldn't be any farther away. For the following pregnancies, the anxiety continued to set in. Is this going to be like the last time? Are they going to be able to find a heartbeat? The whole pregnancy, we were sitting on the edge of our seats, not knowing, longing, if there was a heartbeat or not. Fear, so many unknowns, was what was going to happen? Every appointment we sat there worried and scared and anxious of what was to come or not come. 
when our son Xavier was born, there was this great relief as all of the half-breaths that we had been breathing in for the past nine months could now come deep from within. A great relief. A couple of years after we had Xavier, Alicia and I decided to try again. And everything was going well with this pregnancy. We were out of our first trimester and on to the second, and his heartbeat was strong. But then the nightmare happened again. He was 17 weeks on that Wednesday in October when the doctor echoed those words that we tried to forget. I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. Yet again, we were consumed by anxiety and depression and we were blinded by hopelessness, all brought about by the stress and the pain of the miscarriage. But this time was different. This time we shared grief, this grief and this pain, and we allowed others in to walk alongside us in this journey. When we ourselves find ourselves in moments of and seasons of anxiety and depression, it's hard to describe how you feel. It's not about trusting God through it or about bigger faith or better faith or stronger faith or the right kind of faith, but it's about knowing that God is there. That God's got you and you've got God. Amen? God's got you and you've got God. And that God will provide in a multitude of ways. Much like God did with Elijah, providing a divine presence, an angel to help him along the way with nourishment and with food and with with sleep, so too does God provide for us in our times of need. From phone calls and text messages to, to people just showing up with food to others coming over just to sit and to be there. There are no words to describe or explain or ease the pain of experiences that we find ourselves in. But when we have nothing else, we have hope. We have hope from God. We have hope in the sacred space that is shared with others, providing room to share our scars and to tell about how our wounds have been healed. My friends, together we are called to share with one another those burdens and those griefs and those pains and those laments and to come alongside one another in the journey. And as we gather and as we journey, we can rest assured that God is there ever present in our times of need, soothing the waters as the storms rage on, calming our fears, taking our doubts, and healing us, healing the hurt in our lives. My friends, our God is a God of the mountaintops and the valley lows, the beauty and the muck and the mire. Know that wherever you are and wherever you have been, God has been with you throughout it all. Amen.